And we're back with the 11 Dubcast, everybody. I am Michael Citro. I'm Johnny Ginter, a very victorious Johnny Ginter. I did it, me. It was all you, Johnny. It was all me. Uh, so, Johnny, um, Welcome. it's championship week. Yeah. It's championship week because Ohio State, those Buckeyes of ours, defeated the evil Nick Saban and his Alabama Crimson Tide in the Sugar Bowl. Right. Uh, yeah. What... Which we all expected inc- at the beginning of the year. Ohio State. What, it, what, what an incredible game, though, Johnny. What an, what an unbelievable game. What are your thoughts on the game overall? It was, well, I mean, okay, so obviously I'm real happy that they won. That That's, you know, first of all. And in the moment while I was watching, I was just like sweating bullets and freaking out. And, you know, I, I really didn't think Ohio State was going to really win the game, and especially. After the first quarter and a half, I was like, nope, it's over. Sorry, you can't beat Alabama turning the ball over and making boneheaded plays and not scoring in the red zone. You can't do it. You can't beat them. Sorry, we're screwed. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it turned around, and that's when I started to sweat a little bit. And I should have just, you know, I should have done what I should have done at the very beginning of the game, or at least maybe in the weeks leading up to the game. Just listen to DJ Burns, who predicted a win, and a relatively easy Ohio State win. I should have just listened to DJ, but I didn't, and I freaked out, and it was still great. Uh, we obviously emerged victorious at the end, but I, I honestly, if, uh, if I'm giving an honest appraisal of the game, that is not Ohio State's best game. It, it's not even close for the right. year. Like, it, it's great that we won, and it was exciting, and I had a lot of fun there, and all these amazing plays, but they made a lot of dumb plays in that game, and... and Honestly, I think that was, and this is going to sound cocky, but I think that was Ohio State's like B game, like B, B plus game. And if they had brought their A game to Alabama, I don't think that game's close. I think Ohio State just outplayed Alabama and, and they were that much better. I agree. And, and, and I know that um, I watched the Paul Feinbaum film room on SEC Network, which is kind of a, a study in hilarity, actually. I'm... Um, it, it, <laughs> And the funny thing was that they kept repeatedly saying that Alabama didn't play its best game. Right. And I, I, I get that they probably didn't play their best game, but Ohio State also did not play their best game. I agree with you 100%. I mean, there were times, and I was tweeting about Tom Herman getting a little too cute on, like, there was a, I think there was, like, a third and two, and they ran, like, a reverse with Noah Brown. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, come on, just give it to Z. Come on, right? And you know those kinds of things where they were going three and out on, on on possessions they didn't need to go three and out. There were obviously the early struggles in the red zone where they didn't dare to try to run inside on the vaunted Alabama front four uh, until later when they figured out, hey, we can actually do this, right? And uh, that was nice. It would have been nice if they would have tried. You know, I'm always my my thought is this: you're a good team if you're in this position. Do what you do and be yourself. You know, well, you, obviously you have a game plan, right? You have yeah. a game plan. But don't completely just abandon ship and try to be something you're not. One sure. of the things that Ohio State is good at is giving the ball to Ezekiel Elliott and blocking and getting some tough yardage. And that's one of the things that early on they didn't really seem to want to do. I get that they wanted to attack the, the defense wide, and they did a good job of that all night. But when you get in the red zone and you need just – few yards like that the second possession they had uh with the long pass to Devin Smith down he went out of bounds at the one yard line and they decided well we're going to line up Cardale five wide and just have him take it up the middle but then he mishandled the snap if you have Zeke in there with him and maybe think oh at least we'll try Zeke 
then, you know, Cardale's not trying to go too fast and doesn't take his eye off the ball, and, you know, maybe you get that touchdown early. Yeah, I mean, but, here's, uh, here's what I would say about that. I, I agree with that to an extent. I do think that teams need to kind of focus on what they're good at and, and work, you know, make sure they don't deviate too much from what they're good at, especially in these big, high-profile games. With that said, uh, I don't know that an Evan Spencer pass to Mike Thomas was, you know, a huge part of the game plan for the majority of the year. I think sometimes when the situation calls for it, you do need to get a little creative. You don't need to get, like, stupid creative, but you got to do something that, like, maybe shakes the game up a little bit. And I think mm-hmm. that particular play call at that time was brilliant. Uh, obviously, it was executed perfectly. Like, there was nothing that they could have done better than what they did. Um, and I, I think sometimes you need that. Uh, I don't think you need to, however, go wholesale away from what you're good at and honestly, you know, Alabama was having some success running the ball. Now, I, a lot of Alabama fans have been saying, you know, why didn't we just, you know, have these guys run the entire game? And part of that is because generally once they ran it two times in a row, they got skunked. Like, they got just stopped. Um, right. Those guys, I think, work best as a change of pace kind of player where it's like, okay, we're, we're worried about the pass game with Amari Cooper, and then, oh, crap, now we've got this decent running back to contend with. I don't think they're good, like, every down backs. Um, but I just, you know, one of the things I was thinking about with this game is that it, there were a, so many, so many pivotal plays. And I don't just mean like the giant scoring plays or things like that. I also mean like third down conversions, like Ohio state converted so many third and longs, which, Oh yeah, they did like mind boggling. And you know, when Jalen Marshall had those back to back 26 yard receptions, like those were that right there. If those don't get completed, High State probably loses the game. And, and there are a lot of plays like that in the game where you're like, this had to have happened this way or Ohio State would have been in, in deep trouble. And that's why I say Ohio State didn't play their best game. So while I agree that Alabama probably didn't, especially from a coaching standpoint, um, and, and really a lot of people have been giving a lot of crap to Lane Kiffin, Kirby Smart, I think, deserves at least some of the blame. You know, I, I don't think Nick Saban has ever given up a 200-yard rusher before that game. So Kirby Smart is not blameless in this uh, for Alabama. And on, on the flip side, I think Ohio State called an incredible game. Like overall, I mean, Tom Herman, yeah, to get a little cute. But, man, some of the things that they did were perfectly against Alabama's base defense. They hate to deviate from. Uh, they've mm-hmm. got their nickel package and they've got their regular package. And, and they don't want to mess with that. They just want to be better than you and bigger than you. And matchup-wise, they came up with a lot of great ideas. Like, again, Jalen Marshall, you know, he was put on safeties and stuff, which you can't do against that guy. He's too fast. Um, it, was, it was just really interesting. It was, it was a really cool coaching and uh, just athlete matchup. And I think Ohio State is just the better team, and that's why they won. I love the chess match between the coaches. And one of the things I, I enjoyed was going back and seeing how that early Devin Smith pass sort of forced Alabama to maybe shade a little his way, yeah. which opened up the middle on the crossing route for for Jalen Marshall. It was awesome. And, and don't get me wrong, when I talked about earlier not getting cute, I don't mind a trick play every now and then, especially when it's off something that you regularly show. Like that fly sweep to Jalen Marshall right. is what started that whole pass play with Evan Spencer. It was the same action that they run, you know, Good five or six times a game, right? Right. So that makes sense there. The Noah Brown thing came out of nowhere because it's like, oh, here's this new guy who's on the field all of a sudden. <laughs> I wonder if he might get the ball. Well, and, that, and <laughs> yeah. honestly, and they telegraphed some other stuff as well. I mean, like Cardale trying to 
he made hand signals that I think it was Devin Smith for like 30 seconds. Right. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, okay. And almost through the interception there on the bubble screen there. Yeah. Like, uh, that, yeah, that, that's a little silly, but I agree. Like it is smart to work within the offense that you have. So, and I think yeah. they did a very good job of that. It was, it was, I mean, I was biting my nails. <laughs> I was, oh my God, I could, I could not handle the end of that game. Here's the funny thing about that game was that I wasn't, it was, it's weird because I wasn't nervous all day long and I don't know why that was. And that kind of scared me too. I was like, I should be nervous and I'm not nervous at all. And then the game started, I mean, the games, maybe that's what it was. Maybe I just expected, oh, we, we can't have nice things, but um, you know, the game started and I was, you know, I was nervous a little bit, but I wasn't like my normal basket case self. I was like, okay, all right, okay, we've got a three-point lead. Should have been seven. Okay, well, seven to three. Okay, and once it got to a couple of touchdown lead for Alabama, I was like, I just don't want us to get embarrassed. Let's just see if we can climb back in this thing by halftime. Right. And and I stopped really worrying at all. It was like, okay, well, whatever. Let's see if we can get back in this. And then they get back in it. They climb back to within a point by the half. And I was like, you know, we get the ball first in the second half. We could do something with it. Maybe Alabama starts to get a little bit nervous. And it looked like everything worked out perfectly. They came down the field. They hit the big pass. They get the lead. Uh, Alabama throws the pick six. And then from that point on, I wasn't – that nervous about it except for the fact that the offense stopped moving the ball. Then I started to get like, oh, God, they're flipping the field position, and it's just a matter of time before they score again because they're going to get the ball close enough to do that, and eventually they did. And then, again, then when it got late and Ohio State got the ball back, and then the you know I just thought, we're fine now. And then we throw the deep pass <laughs> to try to reward Evan Spencer, and yeah. I went, oh, my God, no. Yeah. And, you know, it comes down to a Hail Mary, and we've seen a lot of Hail Marys this year that worked. Right. And, you know, thank you, Tyvis Powell, for coming down with it. But, you know, if you run the ball on that first down, <laughs> yeah, you're not throwing a Hail Mary. Run. You're not throwing the ball with seven seconds left because you're not across midfield yet. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, was, you know, and, and that was the, it was fun, though. It was a fun game, right. and I didn't like. I didn't go to sleep until like four thirty in the morning. Oh, I didn't go to sleep till like five. It, I mean, part of that was because I was writing, but the other thing was just like, you know, yeah. I was super geeked up. Adrenaline, stuff. man. You know, yeah. And I've watched replays of this game like at least four times now. <laughs> you know, and it, <laughs> yep. again, yep. well, and that's what what struck me though. Again, is just how many pivotal plays there were, and it, you know. One of the things about this Ohio State team and a lot of Urban Meyer's Ohio State teams, uh, maybe everyone, is that I have noticed that in close games or games where they get down, especially like in the first half before halftime, they tend to make something happen, right? Like mm-hmm. right before halftime. You give them that extra drive before the end of the half, generally Urban Meyer's teams make something happen to make it close. And, you know... When they scored that touchdown, and it was a decent, you know, it was a 12-play, 70-yard drive that they, they scored that uh, first touchdown on. After that, I was like, okay, we still got some time. If we can make something happen at, like, the end of the half, then maybe we've got this. And, you know, one of the things that was pointed out during the game is that Ohio State was racking up a ridiculous amount of offensive yards. So the law of averages kind of, like, implies that, look, at some point they're going to start putting in the end zone, and that's exactly what they did. Um, yeah. I do think that Steve Miller's interception was like key. I think that sealed it. Um, uh-huh. I, I think that's where you really got the, 
you know, where you got the momentum and, and basically made Alabama get on their heels a little bit. Because if Alabama scores on that drive, uh, then it's I, I don't know what happens. Um, but I think that really was the the dagger. Uh, yeah, know, it gives we, Ohio State it gives them a two score lead at that point. Yeah. And you know what you want to do is you want to make a team that's balanced like Alabama a an unbalanced team, and it it would have made them it made them more one dimensional exactly. having to catch up. And I think Ohio State plays is is the much better team when they have to go one dimensional than than anybody we've played so far. Uh, when the other team, you know what the other team's going to do. Generally, you can count on Bennett and Bosa and you know Darren Lee and those guys to make plays. Right. Because it's, and and yeah, when they become predictable, those guys can pin their ears back and they know exactly what they need to do in that situation. That's why, by the way, and and, and we can talk about this a little bit more in a second, but. That's why I think Oregon presents a very difficult challenge for Ohio State because they are so multiple, right? Like mm-hmm. you're not going to be worrying about any single singular guy. And Marcus Mariota is much, much smarter with the football than Blake Sims. He's not going to mm-hmm. throw three interceptions. So, That's right. Let's talk about Oregon a little bit then. Uh, Mariota is a – I mean, obviously he won the Heisman Trophy. He's a very accurate quarterback. Yeah. Um, 40 touchdowns against three interceptions this year. That is ridiculous, Johnny. That's absolutely absurd. Yeah. Are you kidding me with that? Are you kidding me? Yeah. Um, he's the, what is great about Oregon's offense is they do they do everything that looks like something else. Right. And you're not sure which one it's going to be. And if you get it wrong, it's a big play. Yeah. And that's the thing. I, mean, I think player for player, Ohio State has the better athletes, right? Like that. I don't think that's much of a dispute. But Oregon, and this is what people generally overlook about them, I think, they're an incredibly disciplined team, right? They know exactly what they need to do on every play. They are mm-hmm. very, very, very good at doing their assignments and doing them perfectly. Like the, people, people get lost in the uniforms. They get lost in like, oh, they're goofy and they do all this crap. Oregon is an incredibly disciplined team. They know exactly what they have to do on offense. They execute perfectly. Uh, they're like a like a like a Swiss watch, basically. That's they're kind of like Navy. I mean, not the same type of offense, right. But they 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 know their assignments exactly. so well, and, and like Navy does, really. And they don't make mistakes. And, and and that's what that's what makes them so dangerous. Ohio State, I think, can lengthen the game by you know looking to you know Saint. Trestle and, and you know what I mean, and, and like making this a little more drawn out, put it on the ground, eat up time. That that is the way I think to beat Oregon. Luckily, we happen to have an uh, offensive line that's pretty good, I would think, and then yeah. a running back who I guess has done pretty well in the last couple games for himself as well. So if you have that combination, that's how you set it up to limit the amount of uh, possessions that Oregon has. And make them force them to become one-dimensional, like you said, because their the wide receivers aren't incredible. And if you force them to be a passing team, like almost exclusively, then things start to change around a little bit. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with Oregon, if you have to play your assignment and you have to be disciplined because they're going to be disciplined and play their assignment. Right. If you get your assignment wrong. They have the speed and the ability to put it in the end zone on any play. Well, and Mariota's um, also a big running threat, too. That's the other thing. Like yeah. He's, he's probably, I mean, he isn't probably, he is the biggest quarterback running threat that I think Ohio State has faced this year, um, just in terms of his overall athleticism. Like, you can't, you know, you can't just not put a spy on him or, or just assume that he's going to stay back there. Because if he sees it, he's going to do what JT Barrett did. 
you know, or what Braxton Miller or even Cardale Jones, he's going to see that hole and he's going to take off because he knows it's 15 mm-hmm. easy yards. He is a, a, a very uh, good example of what other teams have to face when they face Ohio State. Right. He's a guy who can hit, hurt you with his arm or with his legs, and you're never really sure what it's going to be. And if you do a lot of things right on a play, but do one thing wrong, he'll find that one thing and he'll he'll jab you with it. I mean, yeah. he'll he'll burn you. Um, he's going to be as accurate as if you go back to Virginia Tech. You remember how accurate Michael Brewer was in that game? That's how accurate Mariota throws. I'm not talking about Michael Brewer all through the season. I'm talking about the Ohio State game specifically, <laughs> no, 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 where he played, exactly where he, player, where he played like Joe Montana that night. Yeah. Um, you know, putting the ball in the one spot that his guy can get it and you can't get it. I mean, those throws that he that Brewer was making were unbelievable, and that's the way Mariota plays every game. Yeah, he's been um, completing almost 70 percent of his passes. I mean, he's got over like 4,000 yards pass. I mean, he's he's really really good. He's really good. And so Ohio State has to get some get some pressure on him, but they can't they can't overcommit because if right. they give him an escape route, you know he's he's going to take off and get ten, fifteen, twenty yards or or even more. He's he's got I don't know that he's got Braxton Miller's moves, but he's got speed. He does, and well, he's just he's just an incredibly intelligent player. That's to me, I think that's the biggest thing about him is that he is just very very good at picking his spot. And you know he'll, he'll he makes the right play like ninety five percent of the time, so you've got to be better than him on defense, and that starts with the line. I think you know against Alabama, I think the line did a great job. What they were asked to do, they weren't like that's the thing. People sometimes don't see like a butt ton of sacks from the defensive line and think they must have failed. The defensive line played brilliantly against Alabama. Mm-hmm. They did an incredible job, and basically they were just asked to bottle up, you know, Yeldon and and Henry, and then they basically they didn't stop them. But they made it difficult for Alabama to rely on that. And that's exactly what mm-hmm. they wanted. Send the linebackers, send Darren Lee on blitzes, do what you want with them. And that caused all kinds of havoc and led to three interceptions. So they, they did a great job with what they were asked to do. They're going to be asked to do something different with Mario. I think now you want to pressure this guy and make him make faster decisions. I don't think you want to give him the time to kind of sit back there and, and just you know mess with them with fronts because he's not going to get fooled. Um, right, but it's it's really interesting because I think you're you know like you said earlier the chess match is really fascinating and how they decide to attack uh, Oregon's offense is going to be I, I honestly think that's what's going to decide the game. Ohio State's going to get their points. It's just a matter of whether they're going to get more than than Oregon. Yeah, and I think Ohio State needs to keep the ball away and give the defense some rest because the the pace that Oregon runs their offense yeah. is such that it can wear out a defense. And in that second half, you know, if you're a step slow or a half second slow, it's gonna it's gonna cost you in points. So right. it's in, it'll be interesting to see how Tom Herman calls the game and to see how Ohio State's offense approaches it, and to see if guys get series or plays off on defense to rest. Um, it, it's going to be a test for that depth because I mean, uh, even in the Alabama game, they took Joey Bosa off the field a few times because they were like, "Well, we got to get this guy some break, you right. know, got to get him some rest." And you know, third down, we'll throw him back out there. But uh, uh, you know, Oregon is going to go fast. I mean, I guess the dream start would be Oregon receives the opening kickoff, they go three and out, and Ohio State goes on a twelve play drive. Yeah, no, <laughs> that would be the, exactly right. I mean, that that would be ideal. that way. You, you might get them, you know, if, if if that happens, Ohio State gets a 12-play drive, gets a touchdown. Now Oregon's got, you know, less than half the quarter, and they're just now getting really getting their chance again. Right. And 
they're going to start pressing a little bit or maybe be a little bit impatient, and that's when they can get in trouble is when they're impatient. Well, and again, that's and, the uh, thing. You want to limit their possessions. You want to make it so they don't have the opportunity to score 45 points. Even if you're right. not like necessarily stopping them all that often, if you can make it so they only get like I don't know six or you know five or six possessions and a half, I mean that's really hard to do. But if you can like limit it, that makes things all the the easier for you. Um, so, I agree, and I and I think that inside the twenty, they really have to get some stops and make make Oregon kick some field. <laughs> yeah, they they've had difficulty doing that this year. Um, they really have. They've not been a great red zone defense, and that's. You know, which is kind of surprising. They, they've made a lot of strides, and you would almost think that this team would be really good at, at the uh, the red zone, considering how good their defensive line is and how good their linebackers have ended up being. But that's not really been the case. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't, I, I want to be cocky about this game. I want to say like, yeah, it has got this in the bag. We got the, all the momentum and we got playmakers. <laughs> I don't ever want to underestimate Oregon. I, I completely respect what they do at that organization, at that uh, program. I think they're just uh, – I really love what they've done. It's not a coincidence that Urban Meyer has also expressed the same kind of admiration and interest in the program. Uh, he has, you know, went there in the preseason to see what they were doing and how they did things. That's – you know, Urban Meyer's not going to Arkansas State to do that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So. Right. I, I think you need to have the respect for that program, and really, like it's going to be, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough in a different way than Alabama was, but it's still going to be really tough. And they cannot afford to turn the ball over. They have to win the turnover battle. Yeah, empty possessions are going to be very, very expensive uh, in this game. So, yeah. uh, I mean, I think although Oregon's defense has improved from Oregon years past, I don't think it's an elite defense. I think it's a defense that Ohio State can score on, and, and they just have to be aware that. Oregon's defensive players, from their D-line all the way back to their safeties, are going to go after the ball when you are in, in space, and you can't be loose with it. And I, we've had a couple of times this year where we've had guys loose with the ball out in the secondary after making a big play. So uh, they're going to have to be on guard for that. I'm sure ball security was talked about, especially after that first half of that Alabama game. <laughs> yeah. And it'll be interesting to see you know, what happens. I mean... If you had told me the day that Braxton Miller got hurt that Ohio State would be where they are, I would have <laughs> been like, "Okay, cool." Your face. <laughs> I don't believe you, but let's. You know, I like your enthusiasm. Uh, <laughs> Great job, little buddy. <laughs> like rubbing on the head. Yeah, right. Sweet. You think that? <laughs> uh, but even DJ Burns is not uh, predicting a blowout. So, um, yeah, you know, he's he's predicting a close game. So that should tell you that this is going to be. Uh, Maybe one for the ages. You know, and again, house money, man. That's my phrase for the past, like, month. Like, oh, yeah. go out there, be nuts, be crazy, whatever. You know, just have some fun. Seriously, like, I don't – I would love a championship, but I'm going to be extremely sad if we lose. But am I going to be mad? No. <laughs> you know, I'm <laughs> – like, we, we have so far overachieved this season. Ohio State has done so much more than anyone had thought possible. I'm, you know what, we're, we're like, this is all gravy. Like, this is just, this is all gravy. I'm going to be smiling for the next eight months, regardless of what happens. And I, I'm sure they're going to make us proud. So I'm, I'm really excited about it. And it's, it's, it's the best possible outcome, personally, for the playoff, in my opinion. You want to see Florida State lose because yep. they're just a horrible team, that the most unlikable team you could possibly envision. <laughs> like, literally the most unlikable team that you can possibly envision. 
and then you beat Alabama, and then you kind of you know reverse the curse in the SEC. So that is a great matchup. I'm really excited, and they're two really deserving teams. So and and hey, and a lot of people have pointed this out, uh, including myself. This game would not have happened in the BCS. That's right. Right? It would have been. That's right. It would have been Florida State and Alabama, two teams nobody likes outside of their mm-hmm. own fan bases. Uh, and they ultimately would have been undeserving as we, as we saw, pro, you know, proved in the, in the first round there. So like it, 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 everything worked out great. And regardless of what happens again, I'm going to be super proud of this team. The job coaching that urban Meyer did is one of the greatest in, in college football history. Like, I don't think that's an argument. Um, it's, it's, it's been an awesome season. I'm, I'm really excited to see how it ends. Joining us this week on the 11 Dubcast, very special guest, probably going to be very familiar to most Ohio State fans, ESPN college football analyst, former Ohio State All-American linebacker and NFL Pro Bowler, Chris Spielman joins us this week. Chris, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Outstanding. We're really uh, really thrilled to have you on the Dubcast with us this week on this Championship Week edition. Uh, I just wanted to start out on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, your thoughts on the the biggest change uh, from Ohio State's somewhat porous defense last year to to what we see on the field today? Well, the very biggest uh, change was bringing in Chris Ash to work hand in hand with Luke Fickle to institute a challenge every throw mentality. I think after the Orange Bowl, that uh, Coach Meyer looked at that and said that won't happen again. And so what they do is they they get up there and they either play press coverage on the on the receivers or they play a press bail or anything, but they, they just don't sit back and play off and let those people screen them to death. And I think it's paid dividends. I mean, uh, the emergence of uh, Durant Grant, who's had a good year, and a guy that I think is going to be a future NFL corner and Eli Apple, I thought, has played really, really well. Young Gary on Conley has played well, and linebackers have, have all played well. And so when you have that type of mentality, uh, understanding that there will be times when you get beat deep, but you get up there and you challenge people. I think that's what they want to institute, and that's what uh, we've watched grow all year. So who on the defense has impressed you the most um, coming into this year that maybe most people didn't expect to have a huge contribution to it? Uh, Darren Lee, I think, is the could make an argument. I mean, obviously, Joey Bosa, who, who is going to be a tremendous NFL player, uh, but if you're looking at a guy that uh, people didn't think would stand out, and you have to look at the year that Darren Lee had, and just on uh, all phases, whether it's pass rush, pass coverage, making a lot of plays at linebacker, and just being a solid, solid football player and reliable, and uh, a tremendous asset for that defense because you know he has the ability to. He's kind of the hybrid. He's the Jalen Marshall of the defense, where he can get out and cover slot receivers, or he can line up in the box and play linebacker. And he and also he's excellent on when they ask him to blitz. So that's the guy that has stood out to me all year, and has been a great addition to this uh, to this defense. Chris, the uh, the Buckeyes came out this year, and obviously they had the the big. Injury at the beginning of the year to Braxton Miller. Had to go to the backup plan early. Um, struggled a little bit against Navy and then lost the game to Virginia Tech. And and now you look where they are 
what do you see as the biggest area of growth on the team since the beginning of the season? Well, I, I think when you – Urban will put that Virginia Tech loss on himself if you guys had a chance to hear him in a press conference or, or speak with him directly because they did not adjust to what Virginia Tech was doing defensively. They were giving Ohio State a look, which people refer to as the bear front. So, And they were giving them different – Blitzes off the bare front. And the bare front is when you have uh, the center covered up and the two offensive guards covered up with defensive linemen. Then you have uh, a bunch of stand-up linebackers. And Ohio State didn't adjust. And Urban uh, blamed himself for that. And I know that Ed Warner, a very fine offensive line coach, took responsibility. But the growth of the four new starters on the offensive line, the emergence of Ezekiel Elliott uh, and the receiver play, but like any football team from Little League to the NFL, once you get consistent play from the quarterback and you put talent around that quarterback and that quarterback, to me, exceeds expectations, the end result is at Ohio State is you're playing for a national championship. Well, that's a really good segue into talking about the Sugar Bowl. Um, obviously, it's a different quarterback, uh, but I guess one of the big questions that I had was were you as – nervous as I was about halfway through the second quarter uh, about the outcome of the game. I mean, logically, I feel like I shouldn't have been. I, I was. I saw the yardage numbers, and I, I felt like, you know, law of averages said eventually Ohio State was going to catch up. But I don't – did you have the feeling that the game was about to get out of control, or did you feel that Ohio State was going to still be in it? Well, um, uh, you know, I think when it cut it to 21-13, you felt pretty confident uh, that they could – be in it because you started to see the offense uh, execute at a high level. Uh, I was, I don't, I don't want to say nervous. I think early on you're frustrated when you have the ball at the one yard line uh, and you can't punch it in or you had it, I believe inside the 10 twice and you couldn't score. Uh, And those are opportunities that you rarely overcome when you play an opponent like Alabama and Ohio state was able to do that. Ohio State's offensive line in that game um, did a really great job against a, a defense that, that came in really limiting opposing running backs. Uh, talk a little bit. You talked a little bit about Ed Warner earlier. What is it about him as a coach that um, stands apart from other offensive line coaches? Well, I judge every coach, and um, Ed is, uh, has a great reputation, not only men around the um, college football, but in the NFL, and uh, I, I don't know if it's official or not, but I, I'm anticipating that Coach Meyer will promote that to offensive coordinator, and deservedly so, and one of the reasons would be, I would think that, at least rumblings that I hear, that if the NFL looks at what a job this guy's done with the Ohio State offensive line with four new starters and offensive line coaches, uh, as you guys know, are very difficult to find, especially really, really good ones, and that is one of those really good ones. And I think it's when you can get young guys uh, to play together um, and, and play physical and downhill on a consistent basis, uh, that's a good offensive line coach. And uh, um, I've had the chance to watch Ted work in practice. And um, when I watch him work, uh, I judge coaches um, not by necessarily how guys play in games, but how guys work in practice. And there's a high standard that those offensive linemen have to live to 
every single day in practice, and it holds them to that high standard in practice, and it translates to the game. And that's a sign of good coach when you can get those guys to perform in practice, and more importantly, they take their practice performance to the game field. So looking ahead a little bit to the national championship game, uh, what do you think Ohio State's game plan will be to kind of attack Marcus Mariota and, and, and try to contain the, the Heisman winning quarterback there? Well, I think you got to be patient because Oregon runs the hurry-up, up-tempo offense better than anybody I've ever seen. I mean, they execute it better than anybody, and it starts with Mariota and his decision-making. And they off, they go so fast that there cannot be a breakdown in communication, especially in the back seven. If there's a breakdown in communication in the back seven, Garrett is so good and the receivers are so good adjusting routes that they'll exploit it in a heartbeat and have a big play. So you must be patient. Understand that this team can and will move the football. And they'll probably move it from the 20 to the 20. And that's fine. And you hold them to field goal opportunities and maybe get a turnover here or there or maybe a couple three and outs sprinkled in between, but they're going to move the ball. And so you can't panic and you can't get frustrated and you can't say, okay, well, we're going to start blitzing everybody. Well, the problem is they have a lot of man beaters and blitz beaters that they execute and they end up getting big plays off of. So I think Luke has to pick and choose when he decides to pressure. He has to understand and break it down by down and distance. And you always got to make sure that you have the deep part of the field covered because they will adjust and Marcus Marietta will find a weakness of any defense. And he doesn't miss when he has open receivers. Chris, uh, speaking of Mariota, and uh, first of all, I don't think it's fair that we have to play all three Heisman finalists back-to-back-to-back, but I don't get to pick that. Um, One of the great things about Marcus Mariota is that he's so hard to pressure because the ball comes out so quickly. How do you coach up a guy like Joey Bosa to say, look, you're not going to get a bunch of sacks, a bunch of quarterback hurries, but you you got to still try to get after him? I mean, how do you – walk that line with your defensive lineman? Well, I'm not sure I'd bring him all the time. I, 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 you know, they, if you watch the Rose Bowl at all, and I was fortunate enough to do that game for ESPN Radio, and that, you know, a lot of the first plays of their drives are that little quick screen. I don't know if you guys remember what uh, Clemson did last year at Ohio State, but Oregon will do that. And what, why they do that is that they see what kind of coverage you're going to play, how you're playing the quick screen, if you're playing off, uh, maybe they'll pop it or at the very least it's second and seven or second and six. And what it does is slows down a pass rush because right away the offensive linemen aren't running down the field to block anybody. They're just getting what they can get off of that. Then they're eventually going to set you up and show that quick screen and send guys deep across the field. And the ball does come out so quick. So if you're Ohio State and saying, well, if I want to get an extra defender on that defensive end, at times, not all the time, but at times, I'll take Steve Miller, I'll take Joey Bosa, and I'll just drop him into that quick screen area, especially if I have a formation that is likely to run that quick screen with the receiver set up. And so that's one way you can defense it, in, in my humble opinion. You know, this is kind of a, a larger, I guess, like macro question about defense. But one of the things that I guess I really loved about Ohio State defenses in the past is that you could say like 10 points or less was a great game. Do you think, though, that era of defense where, where a great defense is maybe held to the criteria of 
we can keep teams like 10, 12 points, is that gone? Because it, it feels like averages in games, especially in college football, have just gone up and up and up in terms of points. Yeah, I think I think if you're if you're holding teams to 16 to 17 a game, you're just, you're doing a pretty good job. You know, now of course that depends on what what conference you're playing in. But if you're sure. playing a team that averages 46 a game, which is 47, I think Oregon's averaging maybe it's more after a 59 point first versus Florida uh, State. Then yeah, your goal is look, you know, we hold these guys to 20 or 21. We're doing a pretty pretty darn good job, and you know I think all the challenges that Oregon's offense presents to Ohio State's defense, I think Ohio State's offense presents just as many challenges to Oregon's defense. Well, I'm glad you brought that up actually, because I wanted to ask you what the, what what do you think is the best um, or the key position group versus position group matchup in this game? Well, I can't really say that because Ohio State is um, so good everywhere, and so <laughs> that's the big problem. So if I'm if I'm Don Pellin, the defensive coordinator for Oregon, I'm thinking, oh my gosh! All right, let me take away the inside run, but here comes Braylon Marshall on a jet sweep. Well, let me start taking that away, and there's Ezekiel, the guy that just went 85 yards against Alabama. Okay, well we'll take away the run completely, so we'll take outside, inside, run away. Now they have a third-string quarterback that's seeing the field and receivers that are getting open and creating space. And, oh, by the way, while they're doing that, they have tight ends that occupy safety and linebackers. So, <laughs> you know, what do you what do? You, do? you right. know, that's a problem. That's a big problem for Oregon. And Oregon, you know, they're tough guys and they're, they're good players. Uh, but uh, this is a, a, a much more difficult matchup for Oregon, in my opinion, than Florida State was for Oregon. So if that's the case, I mean, how do you kind of see the game playing out then? Well, you know, whatever the over is, I'd probably take it if I were a gambler. <laughs> <laughs> because, uh, you know, and I think it's, it comes down to um, mistakes. Uh, and, you know, yeah, key, key moments. I, I know every game does, but you got to think that both offenses are going to be relatively successful. And so when you get in the red zone, are you going to convert those red zones into touchdowns or convert them into field goals? Or how are you going to handle that? With killed Florida State, which was in the game, and it was basically, you know, the first half was holding serve between each team because no defense was really stopping any offense until the turnovers. And, you know, that's cliche, but, uh, you know, everybody has to do a good job of of protecting the football. So I think it's going to be a great game. I think it's going to be a close game. And I think you're going to see the best college football player, Marcus Mariota. I'm not sure what he translates to the NFL, but I know that he's, he's the most dominant college football player this year and just a, just a tremendous college football player. And uh, we'll see if uh, Cardale Jones can continue what he's been doing. Chris, uh, before we let you get out of here, I wanted to to just ask. I know you're doing a lot of great work with the Stephanie Spielman Fund and the and the James uh, Cancer Hospital. Wanted to to know if there's anything upcoming that that our listeners should be aware of, uh, any kind of events or or how they can get involved. Yeah. Is there anything you can tell us about that? Well, yeah, I mean we've uh, done a lot of great things, and my my daughter, who's a, a junior at Ohio State, is really stepped up into the 
to the fundraising world and um, last year to the generosity of many. Uh, we had a record-setting year for the fund, which is, you know, north of $15.4 million. Wow. And, and we're financing tons of research, a lot of targeted therapies, uh, and I think making a difference. And uh, just the website is just, just, just Google Stephanie Stimmons Fund for Breast Cancer Research, and there are volunteer opportunities on the website. And it's, uh, you know, it's really a tribute to uh, Stephanie's legacy and what uh, Stephanie led to people. And what I like to think is that, you know, people can trust us. And I mean, there's a lot of great breast cancer research stuff out there. But if people give to our fund, they're given to a research hospital, number one. Uh, number two, they know that every dollar spent goes to research. There's zero dollars that go to overhead. And that was very important when we originally started this back in 1998, and, uh, and that continues. And so, you know, I, I just think it, uh, it's uh, part of our life. It's, uh, you know, I'm remarried now, and, and, and my wife now is very involved in, in fundraising with it and does a lot of work for it. And it's just, uh, you know, it's been something that I know meant so much to staff that we could, help make a small difference in somebody's lives. And I do know for a fact that since the conception of the fund that uh, lives have been saved or prolonged. And that's something that uh, when I go to bed at night thinking that, you know, Stephanie didn't die for nothing. You know, there was a, there was a purpose and, and uh, we are uh, making a difference. And, you know, if you want to get involved, just go on the website and, plenty of ways to get involved. All right. Well, thanks, Chris, so much for, for being with us on the Levin Dubcast on this championship edition. Uh, we wish you all the best, and, uh, you know, uh, hopefully you'll have a big smile on your face at the end of the game yeah. on Monday night. <laughs> yeah, it should be a great game. I, I'll, and, by the way, if you guys uh, are watching the game, flick over to ESPN2. Uh, we're doing something called the Film Room, which we did last year for the National Championship. Uh, it'll be myself sitting with uh, five head coaches from, I'm, I'm not at liberty to say the coaches yet, but uh, <laughs> from power five conferences where we'll be sitting around the table while the game's on, showing a game and showing telestration and talking about uh, the game with coaches will talk. You know, my job is to facilitate that conversation. So we did it last year and I got a big response. And this year uh, they're putting it on ESPN too. So look around and check it out. Awesome. Great. Well, we're, we're going to have to get uh, two TV screens going then, yeah, I think. there you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks so much, Chris, and we'll uh, we'll talk, hopefully talk again soon. Okay. Thanks, man. Have a good day. All right. So it's uh, time once again to bring in our good friend Matt Finkus for Finkus on Football. Matt, how you doing tonight? I'm uh, doing fantastic, as always, here in the uh, great white tundra that is Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> That's right. You guys are getting some weather. Um, we're not having to deal with that down here in Orlando, but I'm not going to rub that in because our Augusts are hell. There you go. Uh, I think literal so, hell, actually. I think that's actually where they are. go when they die. 
<laughs> so, uh, Matt, let's get your overall thoughts on that game against Alabama. I know you have some thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, the, the thing that, uh, that struck me first off is, you know, how many times in big games you go back to the Michigan State game? I guess real, not really Wisconsin. Wisconsin was a little bit of an anomaly. But, you know, how many times you go to Minnesota where, the, where this team comes out and gets going quick, like in the first five minutes, and then just decides to say, oh, great, we're good. And, and then, you know, mental errors and turnovers and all these things happen to put them behind the eight ball. And then they come back and, and like gangbusters and, and win the football game. And, you know, you didn't think that that was going to happen against a team the caliber of Alabama, but uh, they were they were able to do it. And, and I think that, they, you know, took advantage of some uh, some very good play on the defense. I mean, you know, I know there was a a lot of points put up there on the board, but uh, I mean, w- when you shut down Amari Cooper and hold him to 70, I think two yards, and you are able to really stifle their running game in the way that they like to run the ball. I know uh, they had some yards kind of unconventionally out of the spread there with the tack and the edge, but that's not what Alabama wants to do. That's not how they wanted to run the ball. They want to run the ball down the downhill inside the tackles, and they were not able to do that, uh, you know, able to get some pressure on Blake Sims. And uh, and I thought defensively it was just a, a great football game. Uh, then you go over to the offensive side of the ball, and, you know, I mean, this has been the recipe, you know, run the football. I mean, use that offensive line, use what Ed Warner has built there and, and what Ezekiel Elliott is. And, and that can that makes things a lot easier everywhere else. When you're able to run the football that effectively, you know, I mean, when we're looking at an Ohio State team and when Zeke gets three yards, you're like, oh, only three yards there. I mean, you know, that's that's <laughs> positive. I mean, that's that's unbelievable, especially when you're talking about a front of the, the caliber of Alabama. So, uh, you know, I, I thought, you know, great victory overall. I mean, you, just so many things. You get that SEC monkey off your back. Uh, you know, you're, you're able to, to win a game against the, the really the royalty of college football the last five, six years in Alabama and Nick Saban. And, and, you know, you're able to do it ahead of schedule with a lot of young guys. I mean, you know, you look on that offensive side of the football and you've got, uh, you know, Devin Smith and, and Evan Spencer that, that are going to leave uh, and Jeff Hireman, but But that's it. You know, everyone else is, is is back on that offensive line and, and across the across the board with the with the rest of the skill players. You go over to the defensive side and you do lose Michael Bennett, which is going to be a huge loss the way he's played these last couple of weeks. You know, you lose Duran Grant and you're going to lose Curtis Grant in the middle. Uh, I, I think we're going to be okay with uh, with Raekwon McMillan filling in his shoes. Uh, but this is a, such a young team. And after all that being said, and, and what I said about the game in the beginning, such a young team, and, and again, I don't know if we've seen this team play its best. I don't know if we've seen this team reach its potential. I mean, imagine if those turnovers didn't happen in the first half. I mean, those mental mistakes, the bad punt, the shanked punt. We haven't seen this team play a perfect game. Now, you can point to the Wisconsin game as as, as pretty solid and pretty perfect and I don't think anyone can argue if you can do that again and replicate that performance against Oregon you're going to win this game by a couple touchdowns you know what's funny that's actually the the same sentiment that I had uh, a little earlier when we were talking about it like I don't think this was an Ohio State like a game from them like they they definitely made some boneheaded mistakes oh yeah and I guess my question to you is like what kind of game do they have to play against Oregon then to uh to beat them I think they can play a very similar game to what they played against Alabama, and, and you can go back and, and and I know that they've they, they've been looking at the Arizona tape, uh, they've looked at Stanford from a couple years ago, 
They, they look at, at really the first half of that Michigan State game, and, and that's what the, they're studying as a recipe. I mean, Oregon – we match up well with Oregon speed wise. You know, you, you put Duran uh, or Darren Lee and you put uh, Josh Perry out in space and they can disrupt. I mean, they're not going to cover, you know, Oregon slot guys, man to man, but they can disrupt. They can throw off timing. And more importantly, those two guys and Joey Bosa can set the edge. And when you take away Oregon's perimeter run game, then you take away that play action pass that they have off of that. And you take away a huge, huge part of their offense. One of the reasons that Marcus Mariota has only thrown three bat and three interceptions this year is that the receivers are wide ass open. There, there's no one <laughs> close to their wide receivers because the, the threat of that speed on the outside and those jet sweeps that they run causes, it creates those gaps on the hashes. It's not the middle of the field. It's not the edges where they really win. It's on the hashes. They win on the hashes because those are the guys that are affected by that jet sweep. And if Ohio State can come in and contain that jet sweep and take that away, then those hashes aren't going to be there. That's going to allow those safeties to, to, to be able to play those hashes and not have to worry about expanding out to, to cover the jet sweep. And those linebackers are going to play a crucial role, those outside guys, in containing that. And I think we have two guys on the edge that have the athletic ability to play with Oregon. Now, offensively, what Ohio State needs to do is take a page from the game plan of the last two or three weeks. I think you run the football with Ezekiel Elliott. I don't think you try to slow the game down. I, and, and I know that that sounds odd, but – I think personally that a lot of teams get into situations where they change who they are offensively to try to dictate a game plan. It's not like Ohio State snaps the ball at the rate Oregon snaps the ball. They can continue their pace. They can continue their natural natural rhythm of the game. I would much rather, you know, have Oregon get two more possessions in the game and us feel comfortable about the way that we're running our offense than I would the other way around and us being out of sorts and, and the timing and maybe we get a couple five-yard delay of game penalties because we're, we're, we're trying to do something that's unnatural from the sidelines to, to, the, to the field and to the huddle. So I, I think you're going to see a very similar game plan to what has happened in the Big Ten Championship game and the game against Alabama. You're going to run the football. You're going to limit uh, Cardell Jones's decision-making uh necessities you're going to limit him to you know playing making two or three reads throwing the ball deep to Devin Smith every once in a while using that play action telling him hey look at that read if that's not there look at your secondary read if that's not there pull down the ball and run let's not get too complicated let's not try to to hit the fourth option on you know in this route one two pull the down pull the ball down and run and I think you saw that early on in the game against Alabama, maybe a little bit to excess. It looked like he was scared to, to, to make a mistake. And it almost seemed like once he threw that interception, that kind of freed him up to go play a little bit more loose. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't want that to happen again where he has to throw a, an interception. <laughs> but but now I think he has that big game. I mean, this is the national championship game, but I don't know if this is a bigger game than, than Alabama, to be honest with you, as far as pressure, as far as media scrutiny and, and attention and everything that, that comes with it. So I expect to see a loose and, and, and ready-to-go Cardell Jones, kind of like what we saw at the Big Ten championship game and in the second half against Alabama. And that's what I think the Buckeyes need to do. Offensively, you need to run the football, you know, run your play-action game and go deep to Devin Smith every once in a while. And then on the defensive side of the ball, be physical and take away their run. And, and I know 
that sounds odd to take away, you know, Oregon's run game because they're known so much for Marcus Mariota and his ability to throw the ball. But if you limit, but but he throws the ball so much off of play action, off of the jet sweeps, off of the zone read, kind of that triple option where he's running out to the side. If you can contain him from running, and if you can contain that that sweep game, you're going to have a long way to go against Oregon. And then it's, you know, we, we've said this multiple times here over the last couple of weeks when you're facing Melvin Gordon and when you're facing Amani Toomer, or not Amani Toomer, jeez, uh, <laughs> having, having flashbacks there from, uh, from some, we'll Michigan, beat him too. Yeah, from some Michigan games. <laughs> uh, but, but when you're, you're facing uh, Amari Cooper, don't let the big play beat you. Make Oregon drive down the field, you know, get aggressive with them, speed people. And, and you saw it with Ohio state. When you get down into the red zone and you don't play power football, it's hard to score. And, and, and we tried to, and for some reason, we don't play power football in the red zone. Now, we did after the first two times, but if you can't play power football inside the 20, you're going to have trouble scoring. I don't care how many times you can get to the 20. If you can't run the ball and pound it in there, I mean, that field condenses so much when, when you use that inline as a, as a 12th defender. That field condenses so much, you're able to, to, to really jam wide receivers. The, the deep threat isn't there. You can sit on routes. There's so much more aggressiveness that can happen on the defensive side of the ball once you get inside the 20. So look for that as well. Look for the Ohio State just to keep the big play in front of them. And maybe they give up the yards, but you, you keep the big play in front of them just like they've done with Gordon, just like they did with Cooper, and make Oregon beat you in the red zone because I think with even with the statistics and I know they showed them a bunch in the Alabama game Ohio State is going to be very have favorable matchups in the red zone with our defensive front able to, to attack and to get there the blitz packages that we're able to bring and, and bring in Darren Lee and bring in uh, you know Raquan McMillan on some blitzes I like our ability to pressure Oregon in the red zone because I don't think they have a power running game or, or that kind of football that can get them scores in, inside the 20. Now, Matt, uh, one of the things that interested me about the Sugar Bowl was Ohio State getting a lot of three and outs, a lot more than I expected them to get. And Alabama eventually got a very quiet 400 yards on the game. But, um, you know, looking ahead at Oregon, another team that you don't get a lot of three and outs against typically. The thing about Mariota that really is intrigues me as a, as a college football fan is the ability he has when things break down to make plays a lot – in a very similar manner to, to Braxton Miller, how do you play defensive line and get pressure on a quarterback without giving him a gap to squirt through and make a big play? Well, it's 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 lane discipline and it's the ability to compress the pocket while not losing leverage. I mean, and, and that's what it's all about when you play a mobile quarterback. You 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 can't get overly aggressive, especially on the edges, and take that inside move on the tackle when. <clears throat> you know that this guy has the ability to scramble. And that's going to – I think you're going to see a lot of Joey Bosa rushing from the inside here uh, and, and, and maybe, you know, bringing, uh, bringing Darren Lee off the edge and, and moving Joey Bosa down to rush from the inside to let him take some chances because that, that's the key to it. You, you stay in your lane, you keep rush discipline, and you don't have to, to hit Marcus Mariota sometimes or these mobile quarterbacks to, to cause them – uh, to be able to throw the ball poorly. Sometimes just keeping them in the pocket and making him throw from the pocket or throw from a place that is uncomfortable or just throw on rhythm. You know, I mean, if you're able to, to get physical contact on the outside receivers and, and just take that half second off of the route 
and then you compress the pocket, and maybe that quarterback, that, that internal clock that goes off in his head, says, you know, the pocket's closing. Even if he's not threatened, really, and there's no one free, pocket's collapsing. My clock says the ball's supposed to come out now. Receiver's not quite into the route where he should be. That's going to be an incomplete pass. So I, I don't think that, that the notion of you need to get to Marcus Mariota, you need to hit Marcus Mariota, you need to, to make sure that we're getting contact on these guys. That That's not true, especially in a spread offense that likes to run on timing routes and run things quickly as they do. Disrupting the outside receivers, I think, is more critical than anything, especially those guys in the slot. Getting physical with those guys in that five yards that you're allowed to, getting some guy up on him and jamming him and again just you're creating that that extra half second for that defensive lineman to get there and that's a lot of times all you really need uh, to, to be able to maybe get the sack but more than likely affect the throw just get get the quarterback off his spot where he feels comfortable and, and, and throwing from a position he doesn't want to be throwing from so it, it doesn't mean that you need to blitz Marcus Mariota like crazy or that we need to get to him and hit him I think that you need to keep him in the pocket, and maybe just getting off the spot a little bit, just maybe making him uncomfortable to where he's moving his feet and sliding in the pocket. We've seen what he can do when he's on the full sprint and on the run, and he's a very accurate passer that way. But just not having his feet set in the pocket, how is he that way? I mean, there's so many different dynamics as to what quarterbacks feel comfortable throwing from. from. I would make Marcus Mariota stay in the pocket, slide the pocket, just get off the spot a little bit, and then attack him from there. So overall, I mean, answer this question then, I guess. Ohio State wins the game against Oregon if they do blank. If they rush for over 200 yards, they win the game. Wow, that, and that's and <laughs> that's that's some good news for Ohio State. Uh, I, think. I, I think so. I think if, if they rush for two, for over two hundred yards, that means that you know, yes, you you kept the ball out of Marcus Mariota hand, Mariota's hands a little bit. You've worn down that that uh, that Oregon defense now, and and by saying that, by rushing for two hundred yards, that's going to cause some chances over the top. Because if Ohio State is running that effectively, Oregon is going to have to drop an extra guy down in the box. That creates one-on-one coverage. That creates the matchup of Devin Smith in the slot against the safety, and and you take that chance deep, and you're probably going to get a score. You run you run that matchup four times. Devin Smith is going to catch two of them, and and probably one of those for a touchdown. So the, everything though for me offensively hinges off that ability to to run the ball effectively. Now, if I have to ask a or to add a couple of things to that can't turn the ball over. I mean, you've got to be at worst a negative one in the turnover ratio and, and probably even. I mean, you, you obviously can't do what Florida State did and give up four turnovers in a quarter. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I think that, you, you know, you clean up that part of the game, uh, no fumbles, no interceptions, especially in your in your own zone. You know, I mean, if, if you give up, if we have a turnover in, in, in our own territory, like in the plus 40, plus 35 situation, I don't think that's a killer. But you give uh, you give Oregon a little bit of momentum and you can see what they do with it. Now, defensively, I think that the whole key is just no big plays. You You limit Oregon to no big plays over the top. And, and I think that, again, like I said, you force them to score in the red zone. And I like our chances greatly of being able to to stop Oregon in the red zone. All right, Matt. Well, uh, we're going to see how it plays out, and um, we'll talk about it next week and see how it all went down. Um, 
But now it's time for Ask Us Anything, which is one of our favorite parts of the show, as you know. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, Johnny's going to tell everybody how they can ask us anything. You can ask us anything in any number of ways. Um, first of all, you can you can send us a tweet on the Twitters. Um, our official Dubcast Twitter account is just 11Dubcast. Uh, that's all spelled out, E-L-E-V-E-N-D-U-B-C-A-S-T. Or you can send us an email. Uh, that is dubcast at 11warriors.com. And I got it right this week. You so did. Good job. Very proud of myself. <laughs> uh, we, got, we got a lot of questions this week. We got a ton. Um, yeah. So we're going to have to we're going to have to get to these fairly quickly. But let's let's start with the uh, uh, <laughs> no name. OK, uh, so the Sugar Bowl was a hard hitting game. That being said, what is your favorite Buckeye related hit? So I assume most will say the Zach Dumas hit. Uh, for me, it's Keith Byers destroying Pepper D- Johnson in a pro game. Uh, so to start off with, what is your guys' favorite <laughs> hit? Is it just from this game or, or from any game? I, it can be at all time, I guess. All time Ohio State. All time Buckeye related hit. Oh, all time Buckeye related hit. Goodness gracious. Um, there are some good ones. Uh, I'll tell you what. For me, probably. I would go with Andy Katzenmoyer on a fourth and one in the Rose Bowl. Oh, okay. Uh, they ran to the outside. And I know everyone looks at that one of, uh, was it Kobe or Corby Jones? Or Corby Jones. Like that. And that, that's yeah, actually mine. But, yeah, yeah but, but there was a fourth and one play early in the game where, where they ran to the outside and we were in bare defense and Andy make came up and, and just, you know, I mean, the, the funniest thing about Andy is he's the, the probably the worst you know, form tackler on the planet of every, of any Buckeye inside linebacker any, anywhere. He just tried to come as well. I shouldn't say that his freshman year. He was, he just tried to come in and, and just hit you as hard as he could. Now, most times when, when that happened, it worked, but uh, yeah, fourth and one. And, and they tried to go for it earlier in the game on about the plus 40. And Andy came off the edge and uh, was able to, get, to knock the guy out of bounds before he got the first down, knocking about four rows deep. I think that's hilarious. <laughs> um, I'm going to go to the actually I've I've long said this and this is a it's probably not the biggest hit obviously but uh it's very topical because uh, we had Chris Spielman on this week uh but I'm going to go back to 1985 Ohio State was number 3 and they played against number 1 ranked Iowa in the horseshoe and Iowa had a fourth down and one situation they gave the ball to Ronnie Harmon who was a pretty darn good running back and Harmon tried to go vertical and go up up over the line, and Spielman did it at the same time and just smashed him backwards <laughs> and stopped it. And Ohio State took over the ball and uh, went on to win that game over number one Iowa. That was uh, my all-time favorite Buckeye-related hit. Nice. I I would say the Corby Jones hit, and the reason why I like the Corby Jones hit is because I I love the way it's shot. <clears throat> like the way they had him, they, they had the camera really closely centered on him, and then Katzmore just comes out of frame. Like from the edge of the frame and just destroys them, and it, it's just—it's like this—it's like a shock in a horror movie. It's really funny. Um, the other one that I would say is a book I not a lot of people really love, but Brian Hartline threw a block, uh, I think, on Anthony Gonzalez touchdown, where he took out two Iowa defenders at once, and it is again one of the most ridiculous. Like he's just. He's not there, and then he's there, and then they're both on the ground. Uh-huh. It's, it's really funny to watch. I'm gonna give an honorable mention. Uh, I think it was. I think it was last year in the Penn State game. Um, we had a, a drop back pass, and uh, I forget. It might have been Deion Barnes was coming, and Marcus Hall peeled back and absolutely destroyed him. 
Yeah. And it was a great block and kind of just blindsided him. And it was like, you know, we say on Twitter, Marcus Hall just killed a guy. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't Jack Cato kill remember. a guy at some point? <laughs> uh, yeah, he actually put a guy, uh, he paralyzed a guy. Yeah. Daryl Stingley. That's got to yeah. be in there somewhere, I think. Um. I was thinking, didn't Rob Harley play? Rob Harley had a hit, um, like in a Michigan game, where it was like a return, and he just laid a dude out. And I th- like he went, like the dude went like horizontal to hit the guy. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, Matt, actually, there's a second part to this question for you. Okay. Uh, Mr. Pinkus, what is the hardest you have ever hit someone in a game, or uh, who has hit you the hardest? Uh, the hardest I've ever hit someone was Iowa quarterback in 95, and I can't think of his name, um, but he ran a bootleg and turned around, and I didn't, like, fall for the – I mean, it was the worst bootleg ever. I mean, it was Iowa, though, so they were, <laughs> so they were horrible. Like, you know, I mean, the running back, like, didn't even try to fake, and so the minute you looked at it, you knew the quarterback was running towards you. So I'm just running full speed to where I know he's going to turn around. And I hit him, and I remember watching it on film, and he, I guess he tried to, like, jump and throw the ball at the same time. And he, he literally did a 360 in the air before he, before he like, like, sideways and, like, end over end. So I guess that's like a 720 because he, he, like, did a full rotation and then jumped head over heels. And then, yeah, and then, like, landed on the ground. And, and so that was probably the hardest I've ever hit somebody. Uh, the hardest I was ever hit was no doubt in the NFL um and I forget the guy's name he was a linebacker for the Bills for a long time notice I forget a lot of people's names uh <laughs> when we're, especially when we're talking about hitting people um but we were playing Indy uh in Indy my second year with the Jets and we were down a touchdown with like three minutes to go and so they had their hands team on the field and we were going to fake the the onside kick but then kick it deep so we fake the onside kick, kick it deep, and I'm running and running up and looking at the ball because you're thinking everyone on the front line is going to, you know, run back and then try to block you. But this guy just stayed on the line of scrimmage and just lit me up. I didn't go down somehow, but I looked like a drunken sailor like the rest of the time trying to wander, meander down the field. <laughs> and then, like, you know, someone grabbed me and pulled me off. And it was, uh, yeah, I mean, I can't think of that guy's name though from Indy. He was, I mean, a longtime linebacker there back in, you know, the, the, the mid nineties. But I mean, that, that was an old vet move, you know I mean? Just, you got the, the, the two year, second year player in front of you. He thinks you're going to drop back. He's got his head up looking for the ball and you're just going to stand, you know, I mean, literally, I don't think he moved. He just stood 10 yards away from me and I'm running full speed at him and he just bam and just lit me up. Nice. Uh, okay, so wasn't it Drew Tate? Was that Drew Tate, the quarterback for Iowa you were talking about? I thought his name was Matt something. No, Drew Tate. Drew Tate was in the mid 2000s That's Bobby Carpenter sacked Drew Tate. Oh, that's like right. That's right. It was the Bobby Carpenter uh, thing with Drew Tate. Uh, yeah, Matt. I'm. I can't remember his last name either. But I know who. I can picture him in my mind, and he was an ugly cuss. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and I actually. And, I, want to be. and I ended up going out with his girlfriend in Arizona one night too. Nice. Yeah, wow. Uh, okay. So got, a, one, got, a, got a Sun Bowl t-shirt out of that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this one's from Anonymous. Uh, he, he prefers to remain anonymous on this one. Hey, guys. Thanks for taking my question last week. Here's another. I Well, I just ruined it. It's one of like three people. Uh, if Ohio State <laughs> manages to win the national championship, what is the best excuse I can use to call in sick after a night of celebrating? Just call in sick. What? Yeah, I don't 
That's why you save your sick days. Don't overthink it. Yeah. Wait, <clears throat> I'm sick. Yeah. Well, most, I mean, most of Columbus is going to call him sick. Yeah, so, no kidding. Yeah. I mean, if your boss is a Buckeye fan, then it, you don't even need to exp- – I don't even think you need to explain. Yeah, Just don't, don't show up. That's not difficult. <laughs> All right, this is a very long question here. Um, this is, uh, again, for Matt. Uh, on the Christmas podcast, this is, uh, by the way, from Cal Poppy, uh, one of our readers, Love Warriors, Shannon, still. Uh, on the Christmas podcast, Matt Fingus said the University of Michigan needs to absolutely jump out of a tree to get Harbaugh. Now that they've hired Harbaugh, how does he think this was accomplished? I just envision people sitting in trees waiting for a Harbaugh to pass underneath <laughs> them. <laughs> but that's just my idea of how it went down. Did they have a bag to catch them, or did they have a net to throw over them? Uh, did more than one person jump from the tree? Did they jump from Redwood in California because of their high branches? They could stay out of sight. Uh, but then maybe they need some base jumpers. He, man, Cal Poppy put a lot of thought into this. And Way too much. Yeah, and the problem with deciduous trees in Michigan this time of year is that there are no leaves on the trees, and they'd be easier to spot. Yes, hard so, to camouflage yourself. I understand. Yeah. Uh, so how do, how, do they catch, how do they catch Jim Harbaugh? Um, to my understanding, a lot of former players, uh, I guess you can use the phrase jumped out of a tree, but really they just kind of called him and, and, huh. and he did, he got a lot of pressure from, from what I heard from a lot of the former Michigan guys. Uh, there was a big push by the alumni. Uh, the, the, the money was there and, and you know, the money was always going to be there with Michigan. I think we knew that, that they were mm-hmm. going to have to pay someone, but, right. uh, I, I think that there were two things that happened. I think that. Um, like I said, from, from what I heard from a lot of the ex-Michigan guys, there, there was a full court press by the, uh, by the football alumni to say, hey, we need you to come back and we need you to, to, to build this back up to, to, to where it belongs. And, and you know, and, and the second thing to that is uh, there, were, there had to be some kind of mending fences between the Board of Regents and Jim Harbaugh. Right. And I, and I don't know how that went down. I mean, maybe it was a, uh, you know, a LeBron kind of secret mission to him or something like that. But, but there had to be some kind of outreach because I know for a fact that, that he was, he was really hurt by the fact that they hired, uh, Rich Rodriguez over him. Uh, and, and that, that was a bitter pill to swallow. And that's why he didn't come back and why they ended up hiring Brady Hope. They offered him the job and he said no. And, and that was a big reason why. And so something there had to happen. Yeah. To, I feel like to, there had to have been some kind of mea culpa where they're like, Oh my bad. You know, like, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, I, I think that was, that definitely went down on some level. Now I don't know who was involved and, and how it happened, but I, I, I would guarantee you that that happened on some level. And then like right. I, said I, I think it was a lot of the, the former players hey yeah jumping out of the tree or doing whatever it is that they had to do <laughs> you know calling Harbaugh up and saying you know look we, we need you we, we need right. you to come back here I mean and this this is more than you know j- just your career or you know, this is I mean w- when you talk about schools like Ohio State and Michigan and when you when you have guys you know like you know Woody Hayes and Jim Trussell and and Luke Fickle and Urban Meyer who have been a part of the school and who feel such a strong attachment to it. And then on the Michigan side, when you have guys, you know, like Bo Schembechler and, and Lloyd Carr and, and Jim Harbaugh, you can appeal to the, to that person and say, look, it's, it's more than, it, this isn't just about you and your career. You know, this is about doing something bigger than that and, and, and coming back and, and, and being a part of something. And, and that, that's going to resonate with those guys. I mean, yeah, th- especially, that, especially Jim Harbaugh, like how he grew up and, and whatnot. Like oh, I yeah. think that definitely played into it. 
mean, um, it, it, it has to. So, so right. that, that 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 is how they jumped out of the tree to catch him, and they might have used a net, or just, maybe it was a khaki bag. I don't know. <laughs> a lot or, of begging, a lot of dollars. How about that? <laughs> that helps begging too. and bribing. Yes. Begging and bribing. I think yes. All right. So we I, there's another aspect here. Uh, this is for me actually. Uh, okay. After your recent sickness, what is your best new poop joke? Um, yeah, I was really sick for a long time. Uh, uh, okay, so who were the first people to have ICBMs? Uh, Eskimos, of course. They they were the first people to have ICBMs. Thank you. Um, I'll be here all night. Uh, <laughs> I just okay. got that. Uh, <laughs> By the way, Matt Sherman uh, was the Iowa quarterback's name. Oh, there you go. Uh, he, he also had ICBMs. Uh, okay, question for either myself or uh, Mike. How much audio do we capture for an episode? Do we just record things once and edit? Do you need two hours of audio for an hour of podcast? God, no. God, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we just record and edit. There's no way. Yeah, it takes about – it to record takes about an hour to an hour and a half usually to edit is probably another half hour to 45 minutes, and then to publish is another 45 minutes for me. I don't know. I'm kind of a slow writer. It may be quicker for Mike. No, that's that sounds about right. And, and you know, the main thing is it's just like recording a conversation, and then you just have to remember to, like, make a note of it if somebody drops an F-bomb or does something that they're, you know, stupid, and we need to go back and take that out. And then we do that. Yeah. Uh, so... Uh, Cal Poppy wraps it up. He says, uh, you can save some of these questions for fewer dub cast, but he really wanted to throw these while they're in the head, especially the poop jokes. Uh, he also said he's always enjoyed the dub cast, starting with uh, when Sarah Hardy was on, uh, my old co-host, uh, who did a very good job. Uh, didn't listen before that. I don't know if they existed before that. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, I also was on those. Uh, the Awkward, dub Michael. Are... Awkward. <laughs> I'm used to it. Yeah. Uh, but he he's saying we've really stepped up our game and uh, he just says thanks to all of us, Matt and Mike and me, and that's great. So thank you very much for listening, Cal Poppy. We really appreciate I, it. I think that was mostly directed towards me about the stepping up. Yeah, the- well, <laughs> clearly. <laughs> uh, all right, so we got a couple real quick ones here. First one is, or three ones, I guess, but we'll do them real quick. Circle drill, James Patrick Trestle versus Urban Meyer. Uh, Trestle's got a lower center of gravity, I say Trestle. And he's got huge, big, thick calves. Have you ever seen them? They're giants. Yeah, Trestle, uh, not so much. I mean, he was a quarterback. Eh. You know, Herbs, Herbs at least was a defensive player and a DB. Uh, yeah, Trestle's got the, got the lower center of gravity. Uh, Urban's got twenty years on him. I, I mean, I, I don't. I'm, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with Urban. Uh, I think if they hit each other in a circle, I think the entire universe would wink out of existence, and nobody wins. <laughs> All right. What about Jim Bowman versus Tom Herman? I say Tom Herman because. Uh, he could just distract him with uh, some herring, and then Jim Bowman. <laughs> well, you'd like to think that that, that that Herman would outthink him, but unfortunately, the circle drill, there's not a lot of room to maneuver or <laughs> or perform any kind of Mensa stunts, and and, yeah. and and Bowles is a big dude, and he's got he that burly dude. mustache. I mean, if he gets one hand on Herman, Herman's not that big of a guy. I think, uh, unfortunately, Bowles is going to take that one. All right. Well, it's fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, okay. So if OSU wins, what percentage is the chance that we get a video of Urban doing the whip? Uh, ha- he has to, right? Uh, I think zero percent. I don't think any amount of joy in his life will cause him to do the whip dance. Um, but he may do some kind of boogie. I don't know. 
Um, I would say the chance of Shelly doing the whip is 100. percent I'm sure she's probably she's probably been practicing and 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 learning how to do it. And and I mean, Urban, you know, I I was at the wrestling meet on uh, Sunday, and Urban came in to you know to be an honorary coach, and and I'm sitting there next to uh, to my cousin who had a son who was wrestling for Ohio State. He's like, oh, that's neat that Urban's here. I'm like. I give him five minutes before he gets up and walks out of here and goes back <laughs> to the facility and starts watching the film. And we're sitting there, and they get one match in. It's like the first break after the first match, Urban up and out the door. He's like, why is he leaving? I'm like, he's got a job to do. He's got a coach. <laughs> he's only trying to win a national championship. He's trying know, to beat Oregon. Yeah. So Urban has done no preparation for this whip dance, I guarantee you. But Shelly will pull it off. Sweet. Yeah, I think, you know, if it's going to be some dance from Urban, it's going to be something from the past that is just comes out of nowhere. Like, just like out of the, like he saw it on TV once and forgot about it. And then it just is like, you know, like a subconscious thing, like a cabbage patch or something. <laughs> Running man. <laughs> uh, okay, last, Peter? very last one, real quick. Uh, Mr. Andrew Hare, Braxton to Oregon FSU, Ever Golson to LSU, Driscoll to La Tech. Is this the rumor mill? Is just getting weird? Or what? What's going on? I look. This is going to happen when you have a lot of senior uh, type quarterbacks and, and, and older quarterbacks who might be in like like weird or untenable situations. It's 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 to me a lot of it is to keep people occupied. I don't think nearly as much of it is going to happen transfer wise as people think. But I just think it's a topic that people want to talk about. Basically, that's how I feel about it. Yeah, I think Driscoll maybe leaves. I don't. I, I'm honestly don't think Braxton's leaving Ohio State. I might be naive, but I don't think it's happening. Braxton is not leaving Ohio State. If, if he does leave Ohio State, it's not to go play for another team. It's it's to go to play in the NFL. And yeah. I don't know if I don't know if we talked about this or if it was on another interview that I did last week. But um, you know, when, when you hear these Braxton rumors leaving, what team, the caliber of Oregon or Florida State? is going to put their eggs in the basket of a quarterback who, by all intents and purposes, won't be able to throw full go right. in, until mid-August. Exactly. No exactly. one is going to do that, including Ohio State. I look right. for Braxton Miller to come back and go the way of Denard Robinson, which is probably his best bet in the NFL anyway, and try to, to you know learn how to become some kind of a, an offensive weapon, whether it's a running back, H-back, or whatever it is. I mean, he has those kind of skills. He has that yeah. elite level ability. I mean, you know, we, mm-hmm. we talk about Jalen Marshall lining up in the, in the Wildcat and maybe throwing the football. I mean, how about Braxton Miller lining up in the Wildcat and maybe throwing the football next year and then splitting, you know, J.T. Barrett out? So that's it. That's Ask Us Anything. That will do it for another eleven dubcast. We have uh, we have uh, said all we can say about both the Sugar Bowl and the upcoming national championship game uh, against Oregon. What a show! We had Chris freaking Spielman on, <laughs> uh, Matt Finkus for Finkus on football, and his uh, his contributions to our Ask Us Anything. Uh, Johnny, I, before we get out of here, I've got a final question for you. I don't know that we've ever done this. Uh, maybe we've done this in the past, but it's okay because if we have, it's been a while. Okay. I wanted to ask you, Johnny, do you have game day rituals as a oh. college football viewer? Um, not really. No. I mean, <laughs> that's <laughs> you know what? I'm not a superstitious guy. Like I'm really not, and I don't have any specific thing that I wear. I oftentimes like you know I'll 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 be wearing like a blue shirt or something on a game day 
like just walking around like before the game starts. They're like, oh, and then I'll I'll, I'll see everybody in their high state gear, and I'm like, oh yeah, <laughs> I, I'm attempting <laughs> the fate. But I don't, you know, I don't believe my actions have any effect on the team, so I don't really sweat it that much. Um, I but that does not prevent me, however, from getting extremely angry at the TV and yelling and things like that. So, but no, I don't I don't personally have any real rituals or anything like that. All right, fair enough. I don't do a lot of that either. I I kind of wear the same T-shirt and the same jersey uh, for game days, and that's about it. I don't really, you know, I, I can't sit a certain way. You know, things like, you know, some people have really in-depth things that they can and can't do on game days. Like, Oh, I know some people who get furious if they can't do exactly. Like, they're like, it's, it's game's over. I can't do this. Like, <laughs> you know what? Urban Meyer's not going to be calling you up in the third quarter. Like, are you wearing the necklace? Are you wearing the Buckeye necklace? And he's like, no, he's got to be like, ah! And then hang up. Like, it's not... All is lost. Yeah. <laughs> Back it Ted in Minnesota. Ted in Minnesota, you didn't have your necklace on. Yeah. That's not good. Um, uh, I, yeah. I don't... I think if you have a ritual where you want to bring your dudes over, you want to have some food, that's a good game day ritual, but don't get so wrapped up in the superstitious stuff that you can't enjoy the game. That's all I'm saying. Have some fun. Especially have some fun this Monday night, because... Oh, my God. We're playing house money. It's, it's all house money, and nobody thought... That Ohio State would be here at this point. You know what? I here. saw this. I saw this report about a lady who like was on the craps table, and she like rolled like winners like for like a hundred or hundred and fifty times in a row or something insane. And that's basically what we're at, right? Like Urban Meyer and JT Barrett and Cardell Jones are just are they're just rolling winners on craps for like the past like two months. And <laughs> just enjoy it, man. It's it's awesome. Like if it happens, it's the greatest thing in the world. If it doesn't. It's been an amazing ride, so I'm just I'm looking forward to it. That's right, and uh, so we'll find out what happens, and we'll talk about it next week. Until then, I'm Michael Citro. I'm John Ginner. Peace out, everybody. Peace.